Let's stand together and open our Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I'm going to ask Brother Sutton to lead us in prayer this morning as we come. Amen. You may be seated. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous meaning super dangerous or very destructive. We've often seen signs before that said danger, whether that was a dog or a power line or a gas line. We knew to avoid that area, to avoid danger several years ago when we were in Mexico. We had one of our architects working on a project. It was a five-story project, and one of those floors came very close to one of the main power lines through that neighborhood. One of the young workers one day became careless and accidentally, as he was cleaning that area, struck that power line with a broom. When he did, it nearly killed him, but it literally webbed his fingers together, took several surgeries to correct that, but uh, God said the times that we are living in, those last days are perilous, much more dangerous than a power line. We are seeing the effects now here. Uh, we often look at this passage as speaking of the world, and we can see it. How many of you notice that we're living in the last days, and those days are perilous? Now, the very first thing that we see that identifies this generation is for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, this is the seed sin. This is the sin that produces all the rest of the list that's about ready to be explained. The first sin, the initial sin, is men shall be lovers of their own selves. But I don't want to talk about what we see in the world today. I want to talk about what we see in our churches today because we can't address the world. They're not here this morning. We can't address the church, the children of God, because... We have a human nature. We see this very sin, this root sin in our own lives. And if we're not careful, we can easily see and identify that we too tend to love ourselves. That's a natural tendency of human nature. Look at all the sins that follow. They're lovers of their own selves. The next word is covetous. Do you notice, can you see, can you identify how the root sin is selfishness and self? When you're in love with yourself, you're covetous of anyone that has more than you do, covetous of those things that they have and what you don't have. You become greedy of gain. The heart is never satisfied. Look at the next word, boasters. What is at the root of boasting? Self. I want 
people to have a good impression of me and who I am. I want people to know of my accomplishments, my feats, my abilities, my talents. Look at the next word, proud. What is the root sin behind pride? Self. What's the middle letter in the word pride? I. And it's self that produces pride. We have nothing to be proud of, but we tend to be proud of all the same. Blasphemers. Why is the root sin of blasphemy self? Because man likes to think of himself as the source of truth. And instead of looking at God in this book, his word as a source of truth, he begins to blaspheme this book by considering himself to be an authority, oftentimes an authority higher than God. But if you look through that list, and we won't take the time this morning, you'll understand the root sin is that man loves himself. Wouldn't it be nice if when we got born again, you know, the moment you got saved, you finished your prayer, you looked up into heaven, you said, thank God, I no longer have to worry about my flesh, I no longer have to worry about myself, and uh, I can just go on and live the victory. I can shout it out, do the right thing from early in the morning to late at night, all the rest of my days. We know that's just not the way it is. We wake up every day, and although we have the help of the Holy Spirit, and thank God we live in the church age. Aren't you thankful for the church? I cannot imagine these men that lived without a church home, without a group of believers supporting them, without hearing the word of God preached on a regular basis. We have all of that in our favor. But all the same, we tend to love ourselves. Now, why is this such a perilous sin? I want you to think about the danger, and we could go book by book and character by character in the Bible, uh, but Ahab loved himself so much that he ended up killing Naboth over a vineyard because Ahab said, I want that vineyard for myself. And in his love for himself, he slew an innocent man, Saul, loved himself that he was willing to sacrifice, willing to pay, give up the blessings of God and a throne in order to do his own selfish will. Lot loved himself so much that he sacrificed his family, his wife, his children, everything good in life for a better position and to obtain financial success. The sin of loving self is extremely perilous. Now, I want you to notice a few things this morning with me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33. Today, psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors, and there are thousands of professionals paid to identify men's problems and we know you don't have to pay thousands of dollars to find the root problem your problem is not your culture your society your sickness your maid your children or your job your problem is yourself that's always the root problem and let me help those of you that haven't been able to identify yourself as a problem, 
When we're in love with ourselves, here's what we'll find ourselves doing. We try to establish our own agenda, fight for our own rights, voice our own opinions, speak endlessly of our own selves, live easily offended, and the list goes on and on. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33. What is the danger of loving our own selves? What is the peril? Look what it says in verse 33. Even as I please all men in all things, this is Paul speaking, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. You know, the number one peril of the Christian loving himself the number one peril is there's a lost and dying world out there without Christ. And when the Christian lives his life loving himself, that means he'll ignore the world, ignore their condition, not spend any time seeking their salvation. And this world, without hope, will die and spend eternity in a Christless hell because in 2013, the church of God has fallen in love with itself. And people live consumed with the cares of this life, choked by the pleasures of this life, consumed every day with me and my needs and my frustrations and my passions and my hobbies in my job, in my family, uh, and there's a world out there. Now think about this for a minute. If you look at the 7 billion people on this planet, let's go a little bit smaller than that. How about the millions within the state of Texas? Or how about if we break it down just to those in Austin, Texas? Can we say that there are over a million people in this area? If you go as far south as Butte and as far north as Flukerville and over to Cedar Park and to Bastrop, just in our local community, how many hundreds of thousands of people have never yet had someone sit down with them, open up a Bible, and give to them a clear presentation of the gospel? I wonder how often we do business, step into, whether it's a restaurant or grocery store, any place we do business, and never even take a minute to pass out a track or to talk to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ because we're consumed. We literally do not have 10 seconds to think about someone else because we're consumed with ourselves and our needs and our day. Our agenda is so tight, our schedule so full. How many times have we climbed on a plane and sat down next to someone who needs Christ, who might never hear of Christ, who God said this person could use a little light so you get an hour of your life with them and never once do we open our mouth to share with them the gospel. You know what selfishness does for us? Selfishness and the love of self promotes isolation. There's nothing in Christianity that scares me more than a Christian that isolates himself or herself. That's the epitome of selfishness. Isolates himself from fellowship. Isolates himself or herself from ministry. 
isolates themselves from the opportunity to serve. Isolates. Now listen, here's what Satan will convince you to do. We think that Satan's will for our life is to get hooked on cocaine or addicted to alcohol. Satan says, no, I, I just want you to live a life wrapped up in self. And that's enough. It doesn't need to include drugs or alcohol or fornication. Just live for yourself because when we live for ourselves, it doesn't give us any room to love God or love others. The love for self consumes us and fills our hearts. And there's a lost and dying world out there. Now, this is a generation. I want you to think about this generation for a minute. We have access more than a thousand ways to, mo to promote ourselves, to uplift ourselves, to focus on ourselves. This is the generation of Facebook. What is Facebook? I get to talk about me. Did you know you're a very boring person? Did you know? Now, let me break the bad news, and I don't mean to be cruel this morning, but did you know no one is really interested in hearing about you? You're interested in telling others about you. And they're interested in doing the same thing. So on Facebook, you give them a platform to talk about themselves and yourself a platform to talk about yourself. And you don't need all the studies that have been put out. You don't need to read USA Today or CNN or some major news source to understand the narcissistic behavior promoted by Facebook that says you get a platform to promote you. And this generation loves it. Because in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, do you think Facebook would have made it in any other generation? Well, you preacher, you're discounting human nature. No, there was a generation in the United States. There were many generations in the United States that were too busy to focus on themselves. Listen, all these new uh, social media websites. What's the new one with the pictures? The Instagram. There was a generation didn't want their picture taken. Listen, you have seen the world's funniest home videos and you've seen the grandma, you know, they're, they're going to take a picture and, and, and the grandmas are saying, don't take a picture of me. Always there's an elder generation that wants out of the photo because they don't want anything to be about them. But the new generation wants everything to be about them. Can you imagine turning a computer camera towards yourself? <laughs> what a strange concept. But in this generation, it works. Millions of subscribers overnight willing to publish themselves. What's YouTube? They named it after you. Because you get to publish you. You get to make you the star. Tell me that would have worked 40 years ago, Brother Dave. They wouldn't have had 50 subscribers. Why? Because in the last days, we're facing perilous times where men 
are lovers of their own selves. And regrettably, this philosophy is not just out there in the world. It's not isolated to the unsaved. But we're talking about a philosophy that is seeped into Christianity. And now in Christianity, we find it much more difficult to get people to truly Love God, stay faithful, do right, because men now have turned their attention from God, from others, to self. And men are lovers of themselves. Can you imagine the money that is spent in the United States of America just on gym memberships? People wake up every day to look good consumed with how I look, consumed with their body. And then once they get their body sculptured the way they want it, then they begin to wear clothes to reveal their sculpture. Consumed with our hair, consumed with our teeth, consumed with ourselves consumed with our clothes, our look. Now, we expect that in the world, but not in the church. The problem is, when we develop that philosophy, we soon forget there's a lost and dying world out there. And the more you're consumed with self, the less you're consumed with others. So let's... Let's pull out the spiritual barometer this morning and measure your love for self. Look back on the past seven days. Go back seven days and tell me how much time you actually spent speaking to others about their soul, their lost condition, their need for Christ. Okay. Now think about how much time you spent getting dressed, Ironing your clothes. Now, I'm not against any of that. Please dress nice. Please look nice. Please comb your hair. Please brush your teeth. Please iron your clothes. That, that's not a sin. The sin is being consumed with it to the point where we are literally spending hours a day consumed with ourselves the way we look, forgetting how many people will daily be in contact with Christians, yet die without Christ, never having the opportunity to hear the gospel because those Christians were more consumed with their image than they were with the salvation of a lost and dying soul. It's perilous times. Why? It's perilous for a lost world knowing most likely they will not get the gospel because we have a generation of Christians in love with themselves. Monday I have to work, and Tuesday I'm with my family, Wednesday I have church, and Saturday I have my cleaning and my hobbies. And in the end, the lost and dying world says, do you have a minute for us? Absolutely not. Paul said, I seek to please all men in all things. Not that he was going to compromise principle or truth. But he said, my idea of life is, this is not about me. And here's what we've done in this generation. We've so glorified this concept of self-esteem. You know why Paul was so successful as a Christian? Because he thought so little of himself. How many remember in Romans 7 when he talks about his 
battle with the flesh. And he ends it by saying this, Oh, wretched man that I am. That philosophy will help you become a good soul winner when you understand. If I love myself, I'll spend very little time loving others. Now, it's not just perilous to the lost. It's perilous to the church. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. How is this sin of selfishness? How is this philosophy so dangerous to the church? Look what it says in verse 15. And he said to them, Christ is teaching, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You know why it's so dangerous for the church? Because a man, a Christian, a saved man that loves himself will not be interested in giving. Amen. You want to know how much you love yourself? Measure how much you give. Now, we're not talking about just to the church, just in the offering plate. We're talking about giving in general. You know what giving does? You know why you ought to teach your kids to give? It'll make them better people. A giving father is a better father. A giving mate is a better mate. A giving friend is a better friend. A giving person is a better person. A giving pastor is a better pastor. When your kids think of givers, they ought to think of mom and dad. Your mate ought to think of you as a giver. Your church ought to think of you as a giver. Your friends ought to think of you as a giver. But it's perilous times. You want to know why we're in such peril in the United States of America? Because we've now reached a point where there are more takers than givers. Never before in our history there have been this many people on welfare, using food stamps, claiming disability. We suddenly, it not so suddenly, but something that was developed over a decade, we have now taught a generation of Americans don't worry about having initiative and making a life for yourself. Expect someone else to take care of you. If you can get your hand on the piece of the pie, if you can take something from the government, you've paid, now you deserve. You know why we're bankrupt as a nation? Because we have a greater percentage of our population that are takers than there are that are givers. People would prefer to live on unemployment over having to work an honest day's work. Listen, it's to a point now that even in families, husbands are unwilling to provide for their own families. Parents are unwilling to provide for their own children, those children end up living with grandma and grandpa. There's a philosophy, and that philosophy says, I don't want to have to maintain anyone. I want to be maintained. And we bring that philosophy into the church where we say, what can this church do for me? What can these people do for me? As a matter of fact, even in a service setting, a church setting, we walk in and say, let's see if people be friendly to me. Let's see how people can help me. Let's see if this 
preacher can bless me. Let's see if this music will encourage me. And everything becomes all about me when we are a lover of our own selves. And very few Christians actually walk in and say, let me be a blessing to this church and to these people. Let me help. Let me serve. Let me sacrifice. Let me give. Let me sustain. We're in perilous times. The lost are in peril. The church is in peril. You know why? Because people stopped giving and we had to start supporting our churches and building our buildings and maintaining our ministries based on a daycare center or a Christian school. We had to start charging fees and running businesses to pay for the day-to-day -day operations of the local church. Because perilous times meant perilous people because there's a perilous philosophy that invaded our lives called uh, let someone else pay for me. It's dangerous for the church because when a Christian is in love with himself, he's definitely not interested in praying for someone else. There's not much prayer being done in this generation, but even less intercession being made. Because when Christians are in love with themselves, oh God, would you take care of this? Oh God, would you fix this problem? Oh God, would you help me? Oh God, my health is a disaster. And I'm not against praying for any of those things. You ought to pray that God would bless you and help you. But when all of your prayer becomes consumed with you, you're in love with yourself. There's few Christians actually praying by name for missionaries and few Christians praying by name for the other members of the church. The average church member can go to a church of 100 people and never ever learn the names of the rest of the people that he attends church with because he is in love with himself. I hope they know my name. But don't ask me to take the time or exercise myself in prayer for those that I go to church with. Some even have unsafe relatives that they never pray for because they're in love with their own selves. Perilous times for the church. Perilous times for the lost. Amen. Perilous times for the Christian. You know why these are perilous times for the Christian? Look what it says in Matthew chapter 22. Two basic commands. Christ summed it up in these words. Matthew 22 verse 37. When asked which is a great commandment in the law, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is likened it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know what? These two things leave no room for a man to love himself. Now, if you love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, how in the world can you find in your heart love for yourself? And then he says, wait a minute, because there's a second part. There's a part B. There's a second command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, you just got pushed totally out of the way. These two concepts are in conflict. So you will either love yourself and find no room to love God and others, or you will love God and others and find no room to love yourself. 
Galatians 2.20 says this. What did Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yea, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Look what it says in Luke 9.23. Turn with me there for just a minute. Luke 9.23. And he said unto them all, Christ did. Matter of fact, go back to verse 22. He is teaching the disciples about his death. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. As he began to teach this to his disciples, they could not understand, they could not comprehend. He was prophesying of his death. Let me just say this. He was serious about the cross. And he was trying to get them to get serious about their cross. And here's the essence of Christianity. If you love me, that means you have to take up your cross. Now the cross in the 80s for the Christian and the cross in the 90s for the average American Christian and the cross in the early 2000s for the average American Christian was not that heavy, was not that burdensome, but it's going to become heavier and more burdensome. And here's what Christ said, if you're going to love me and follow me, there's a cross involved. Now look what it says Verse 57, it came to pass that as they went the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. You know what? I will simply means, oh, I would like to do that. I desire that. I want to be with you. But I will doesn't mean you will. I will means I want to. I would like to, I'm going to take the first steps, but if things become complicated, most likely you won't. So he says, I will, and Jesus said, before you finish that sentence, let me tell you something. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, if you love yourself, you won't want to follow me. Now, Christians, this is my concern. We are defined by the culture that we live in. We're defined by the age that we live in. You are a citizen of the United States in 2013. You're defined by a very selfish, self-centered culture. And we have assimilated not that we tried, not that we want to, not that we made an effort, but because the culture we live in, it rubbed off on us. This philosophy is contagious. So we live in a world that's in love with itself. And it's taught us to love ourselves. And our concern is, boy, I'd like a new couch. I'd like a new car. I'd like a nicer house. And guess what? The more you have does not mean the more you'll be satisfied. To the contrary, the more you have, the less you'll be satisfied. The more clothes you have, the more you want. The more shoes you have. There is no woman on the planet that's ever sat back and said, I have enough shoes and enough shirts and enough clothes to last me a lifetime. 
never in the history of the planet. If you had 46 last year and you have 58 this year, there's still 12 colors that you want. Sh not colors, you have all the colors. Shades of colors that you are still missing. Styles that you still desire. You know why? We are in love with ourselves. You know what marital problems are over? When we said, I do, I expected you to love me like I love me. And you don't. And that really ticks me off. So I figure if we read enough books, we go to enough seminars, and we get enough counsel at some point, you will love me like I love me. And I want to find a church with people that love me like I love me. And you know why children have a problem with authority and a problem with the teacher? Because they're used to having a mother love them like they love themselves. And when that teacher doesn't love them on the same level, now they're angry. You don't adore me like my parents do. You don't obey me like my parents do. You don't live manipulated like my parents are. What is your problem? And we live in a constant state of crisis, not because we don't have a good life. If you traveled around the world, you'd understand you live as good of a life as anyone on the planet. You enjoy as many pleasures and luxuries. You're surrounded by as many good people as anybody on the planet. Yet you cannot find happiness because happiness is not found in those things provided to you. Your happiness, your happiness meter has already been set predetermined, and you said this, I need people to love me like I love me. And you live disappointed with life. Men should be lovers of their own selves. Now, it's not just loving God, but loving people. And here's the danger of loving yourself. You know what happens when we begin to love ourselves? Here's the philosophy we bring to the church. We start to choose the people that we will love and those that are disqualified for our love. We'll start to choose people that we will serve and disqualify others from our service. We'll start to pick and choose and say, those are the ones I'll be friendly with. Those are the ones that I'll be kind to. But those do not, simply do not, Deserve my time, my effort, my energy. That's called a love for yourself. You know who you'll serve? Those who will return service to you. You know who you'll show kindness to? Those that will show kindness to you. But there's a problem with that because the Bible commands you to love your brother. And just about how many of you are saved? You've been born again. You've asked Jesus Christ to come in your heart and save you. Raise your hand. Let's see. Okay, you're commanded to love all those people that just raised their hand. You're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to love your enemy. So just about everyone in this auditorium is included on the love list. They're in one of those three categories. Here's what we do when we're not right with God and we're in love with ourselves. We say, well, I can't look him in the eye. I can't shake his hand. He did something wrong to me. He didn't look at me right. He betrayed me. He hurt me. She frustrated me. We just have a personality conflict. And before you know it, we've got a small group of about eight people that we can actually love and show kindness to. And that circle grows smaller and smaller. When you're in love with yourself, you simply do not have time 
or energy or space in your heart. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Love of self is perilous for the lost, perilous for the church, perilous for the Christian, perilous for Christianity. Because what is the essence of Christianity? The very opposite of Christianity is self-love. Christianity is being Christ-like, which means selfless. Now let me ask you this. How many of you think that Christianity in 2013 is more selfless than it was in the past? Or how many say, I think it be defined as more selfish than it's ever been? How many lean towards a more selfish Christianity? Self-absorbed. Self-involved. Pastors all across this nation are frustrated because they'll hold a VBS and they can't get anyone to offer their time. Especially, here's what city life does for us. City life gets us so involved in day-to-day responsibilities and functions. You know, Pastor, uh, I just, it's too hard, it's too complicated, I have too many things to do, it's too distant. We want a convenient Christianity instead of a selfless Christianity. Pastor, I'll get involved in a ministry when it fits perfectly my personality, my schedule, and my desires. You'll never get into a ministry. I'll go soul winning when I find someone that's really searching the Holy Spirit. Here's the new generation of soul winning. Don't go soul winning until the Holy Spirit prods you. You will never get prodded because you haven't talked to the Holy Spirit. He hasn't talked to you in 16 years. The Word of God prods you, and the Word of God says, go. This generation of Christians has fallen into a deep, dark trap of self-love. And you know what? As a result... We have new churches springing up on every corner and growing incredibly because they say, you're in love with yourself. You tell me what yourself wants. That's what we'll provide you. So we have an 8 o'clock service is basically the disco. A 9 o'clock that's a little more traditional. A 10 o'clock with a preacher that sits on a chair in a t-shirt and talks for 15 minutes. We've started to cater to the flesh. Paul said in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And everything else that follows in that list comes from the same seed, the same root that man loves themselves. Regrettably. I wish we could just say that's in the world, but we're isolated from that. But to the contrary, we've now picked up that philosophy And here's what Paul said of Jesus Christ. Let's read this together and we'll be done. Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, that's selflessness. Lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Here's the way to create total peace and harmony in the church. Let everyone that names the name of Christ esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, 
but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, what's it say? He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ was selfless enough to say, this is not about me, this is about them. I'm going to be a giver, not a taker. I'm going to give my life. I will live on the earth for 33 years. I will, although rejected and despised, although hated by my own, although I'm submitting myself to the very creation that I put into existence, that's humility. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ was not in love with himself? Now, you know what the essence of Christianity is? Having the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is saying, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to take, but to give. I didn't come to be loved, but to love. I didn't come to be helped, but to help. I didn't come to speak my opinion, proclaim my agenda, demand my rights, and expect others to uplift me. He humbled himself. And Christ said, this is not about me. And then God tells us, this mind that's in Christ, let this mind be in you. All of mankind would have been lost if Christ would have been in love with himself. Thank God we've been offered salvation. Now look what it says in verse 9. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, the things in heaven, the things in earth, and the things in, under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now the best thing you could do is get out of love with yourself, humble yourself, admit your need of salvation for Jesus Christ. Because at some point you'll bow. At some point every man on the planet will bow before God, will bow before Jesus Christ. If you do it now, it'll be easy to do later. But if you're forced to bow at the great white throne judgment, the next thing that will happen to you is you'll be cast into the lake of fire. Make the right choice. Make a good choice. Admit what the Bible says. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He offers you eternal salvation through his shed blood. And then after you've been born again, Christian, don't be defined by this culture. Don't fall into the trap of a culture that says it's all about you, love you. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. Oh, in heaven, we get the best of everything. But on this planet, it's about the salvation of souls. It's about the glorification of God. It's about loving others. And sometimes that means being stepped on, lied about, 
mistreated. But when you don't love you, it's not even an issue. You have a higher purpose. Start fulfilling the two great commands. Love God, love others.